following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the city's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City council meetings are held at 7 p.m. two Mondays per month in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at and or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Okay, thank you. Good evening and welcome to our September 11th, 2023 meeting of City Council. Um, 22 years ago, it was a pretty sobering day in our world um, when we think about 9-11. And so I think it really um, makes us think about what our country is all about. We're gonna have a presentation about the constitu about Constitution, but I think as we go into the Pledge of Allegiance, um, I think that it's something that we should really take to heart as we do that. So please join me and all of us in a Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, Welcome back. Thank it's good you. to see you. And will you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Donker. Here. Councilman Solar. Here. Councilman Arnosky. Here. Councilman Brown Wilhelm. Here. Councilman Waspinski. Here. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, does anyone in council have a conflict of interest with anything that's on this evening's agenda? No, Madam Mayor. Okay. Very good then. That takes us to the consent agenda. All resolutions marked with an asterisk are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate consideration of these items unless a council member or citizen so requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda is indicated. If there's even a single request, the item will be removed from the consent agenda without further discussion and considered in its listed sequence in regular fashion. Is there anyone from council who would like an item removed from the consent agenda? Yes, Mayor, I'd like items one and eight removed from the consent agenda, please. Okay. Anyone else from council? All right, anyone from the public want an item removed from the consent agenda? Okay. Can we have a motion to accept the consent agenda? So moved. Support. All right, any more discussion on that? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that takes us now down to item number one, which has to do with the approval of the council meeting minutes. So, so I can speak to that if okay. you will, Madam Mayor. So there just was a, a correction that was necessary under the public comments section of the meet, meeting minutes, excuse me. Um, last week, Mr. Um, Sinclair. Sinclair. Sinclair, I had Peter in my mind, I couldn't think of Sinclair, <laughs> but uh, Mr. Sinclair made comments uh, relative to the Rod Ashman conversions, um, not in favor or, or opposition, but speaking specifically to bicycles and the minutes overstated that um, support. So 
Um, earlier today, I recommended some language to you that effectively recognized that he came forward on that issue, and regardless of which way the decision ultimately comes out, that he had an interest in pursuing or at least having considered um, more protected bicycle facilities on those roads. So, um, an updated minute meet or updated wording, I should say, in that one section of the minutes has been provided. So tonight, if you are acceptable to that, you would move to approve them as amended. Um, well, then I'll move to approve uh, the following wording. Uh, Peter Sinclair, 2610 Devonshire Street, spoke on the ongoing community discussion about converting Ashman and Rod to two-way streets, um, encouraging the provision of enhanced biking facilities in the form of protected bike lanes, whether or not the traffic flow was altered. So okay. Basically, his point was to emphasize the protected bike lanes is what he wanted to encourage. Okay. I would support that. All right. Any discussion on that? All right. Then all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. That passes 5 0. All right. This evening we do have two proclamations, both of which I think are both very important to this, this special day. And so Selena Harris is here to introduce those to us. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, in November of 2021, Midland was officially designated as an international city of peace through the work of the Nonviolent Peace Force Midland Task Force. Um, this group aims to provide, promote safety, prosperity, and quality of life for all members of our community in line with the definition of a city of peace. Here to accept a proclamation naming September 23rd City of Peace Day in the City of Midland is Gail Hoffman with the Nonviolent Peace Force Midland Coalition. Great, Lacey, would you please read the resolution? Thank you, Selena. Good evening. Just a second, we'll do the resolution, we'll accept oh. it first. Just okay. <laughs> Sorry. This resolution authorizes the mayor to issue a proclamation naming September 23rd, 2023 as City of Peace Day in the City of Midland. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Any discussion? All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. And Lacey, would you please read the proclamation? Whereas the World Health Organization, WHO, defines health as a balance of physical, mental, and social well-being, and whereas peace is a condition where society has achieved a balance of prosperity, security, justice, and hope, and according to WHO, peace is necessary for everyone to achieve health, and whereas Midland aspires to be an inclusive community, together, forward, bold, an exceptional place where everyone thrives, and whereas this ambition is achieved in collaboration with existing like-minded organizations and initiatives, including nonviolent Peace Force Midland, Rotary, the We Hear You Coalition, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion DEI Initiative, the Cultural Awareness Coalition, Anti-Racist Midland ARM, the Midland Area Wellbeing Coalition, and the Midland Area Community Foundation's Violent Prevention, Violence Prevention Partnership, VPP, and whereas leaders and individuals across the Midland community are also committed to establishing peace in the region, promoting economic opportunity and improving the quality of life for citizens of our area, and whereas the United Nations annually designates September 21st as International Day of Peace to commemorate and strengthen the ideals of peace both when within and among all nations and peoples. Now therefore, we, the Mayor and City Council of the City of Midland, Michigan, do hereby proclaim September 23rd, 2023 
as City of Peace Day in the City of Midland and encourage citizens to foster positive expressions of peace, allowing humanity to flourish and providing avenues for more people to achieve their full potential. Gail, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the work that you are doing and our thanks to all the others. This is important work for our community and I know it's been a long haul, so we appreciate you being here tonight and please tell us more about this work if you would. Thank you, Maureen. And thank you, members of City Council, for the renewal of our proclamation, proclaiming, excuse me, September 23rd, two days beyond the UN, uh, UN Celebration of Peace Day. As the City of Peace Day in the City of Midland, we fully embrace Midland's vision, an inclusive community where everyone thrives. Together, forward, bold. Midland was declared an international city of peace on November 30th, 2021. International Cities of Peace defines peace as the consensus values of safety, prosperity, and quality of life for all in the community. Indeed, peace is not a hope, it's a right. Peace building is more effective at the community level <clears throat> where needs are known and solutions come from collaboration and cooperation between all sectors of society. It's really through collaboration that we were able to get the city designated um, a couple of years ago. So we will continue to con encourage citizens to foster positive expressions of peace, allowing humanity to flourish and providing avenues for more people to achieve their full potential. And we invite you all to our Celebration of Peace second annual on Saturday, September 23rd at the new Creative 360 on Jefferson. And that will be at 12.30 to 3 p.m. I do have a few flyers and I'll leave them on the table over there. Any questions? Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, that takes us down to item number three, which is Constitution Week. And again, Selena is going to tell us about that. The United States Constitution sets forth a framework for the federal government that is still in use today. And while we all celebrate the 4th of July as an annual holiday, very few people realize that there is a week in September that's named Constitution Week, and it's a commemoration of this living document. Locally, the John Alden chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution um, helped to champion Constitution Week for the city of Midland. They raise awareness and increase our knowledge of the history and significance of the U.S. Constitution. So here to pre, uh, accept a, a proclamation naming September 17th through the 23rd as Constitution Week here in the city of, the, of Midland is DAR Chapter President Nancy Panasic. the mayor to issue a proclamation designating the week of September 17th through the 23rd, 2023 as Constitution Week in Midland to encourage all citizens to study the Constitution and reflect on the privilege of being an American with all the rights and responsibilities which that privilege involves. Okay. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. And Lacey, would you please read the proclamation? 
a commitment which has guided us through more than two centuries of enormous growth and change, and whereas by instilling faith in the promise of democracy, the United States Constitution has served as a model for democratic governments around the globe, and whereas the 236th anniversary of the signing of the Constitution provides a historic opportunity for citizens throughout Michigan and the nation to pay tribute to our founding fathers and to reflect on the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of citizenship, and whereas Public Law 915 guarantees the issuing of a proclamation each year by the President of the, of the United States of America, designating the week of September 17th through the 23rd as Constitution Week. Now, therefore, we, the Mayor and City Council of the City of Midland, Michigan, do hereby proclaim the week of September 17th through the 23rd, 2023, as Constitution Week in the City of Midland to encourage all citizens to study the Constitution and reflect on the privilege of being an American with all the rights and responsibilities which that privilege involves. Amen. Amen. Hey. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for being here. Um, I mean, we're, we're here tonight because of the Constitution and what that uh, provides us, and sometimes we forget about how important that is. So we appreciate the fact that you're here and that you're reminding us of that, and I love how you do that, so I'm gonna just give you the <laughs> proclamation and let you just tell us a little bit more about it. Thank you so much, I'm happy to do that. Okay. May I have uh, Selena do a photo really quick before we get started? Oh, sure. yeah, Before sure. I say a few <laughs> words. Is that all right, Selena? Somebody has a camera. I, we, can we use this one? Okay, perfect. Do you wanna, how about like, should we stand like, can we do this over here? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, do you want me to stand here? Right by all accounts. There you go. Yeah. Everybody in the closer. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> Appreciate that. Taking a moment of your time. Thank you, everybody, for having me back here today, or tonight, I should say. Um, I appreciate the invitation to attend the council meeting, and I'm happy to be here again to accept the proclamation again on behalf of the John Alden chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been around for 235 years now. Sure, there have been amendments here and there, but the main outline and the details about our government, about how our government should work, have always stayed the same. I Thank you. I was trying to include everybody in the in the room. Um, it's the oldest written constitution um, of any major government in the world. Two things that today's DAR focuses on are patriotism and education, and both fit right into advocating for our constitution. As the John Alden Chapter Constitution Week Committee Chair say that five times fast. I'm responsible for educating the community and heightening public awareness. And this year I have a couple of things going on, from a couple of library displays to newspaper articles, restaurant table tents, and some yard signs this year as well. Last year, you may remember, in honor of our 100th anniversary for my chapter, we also gave away some Constitution Week kits to fourth graders at a local elementary school, and those kits contained things like a flag, coloring sheets, um, I think pencils, stickers, a bookmark, and a book about how the Constitution was written. 
And then lastly, starting this week, we'll also have a display right here at City Hall. So you guys will be able to see that when you walk through. Again, I really appreciate this opportunity and thank you for your continued support. I think this is the fourth or fifth year I've been here in a row. So thank you very much. Thank you for coming again and reminding us about something that we just take as part of our daily life and it's really a, a blessing to all it really of us. Is special. It is. Thanks. Thank you. All right, this evening we have four public hearings, and the first one has, has to do with um, Dial-A-Ride, and Karen Murphy is here to tell us about that, but let me just talk about public hearings quickly. Um, uh, we will have a presentation by the staff person. Once the staff um, does their presentation, council will ask them any questions they might have. After council asks questions, we will then um, open the public hearing and people can come up and speak to this particular issue if you're interested. You need to come up, stand on the blue mat, state, state your name and address, and address council with any comments that you might have. Once you're um, done and everyone has made any public comment that they want at that, that point in time relevant to that particular topic, um, we will close the public hearing and then we'll move on. So with that, Karen, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Thank you, Mayor Donker. So this evening I'm here to talk about a transportation alternatives program grant that Dial-A-Ride received through the Federal Highway Administration. This grant is specifically to purchase bicycle racks to put on the front of each bus. Each of the bicycle racks will hold up to two bikes of varying sizes, so they'll hold an adult bike, a child's bike, or a fat tire bike. Mm -hmm. And the passenger loads and operates um, the um, bus rack so that the city minimizes responsibility for the bicycles. Um, it, this will increase mobility and recreation options for passengers. Um, oftentimes passengers want to ride or want to ride out to a location and, and utilize their bikes and right now we don't have a way to um, accommodate that. So the state is providing all the matching funds for this. There'll be no local contribution to it. The grant is for $30,800 and our fleet um, in-service staff will be installing the bicycle racks for us. So here's a, some pictures. These aren't the greatest pictures, but here's um, what the bicycle rack we're getting will look like when it's folded up on the front of a bus. And then this is when it's folded down and the bicycles fit into these tracks here on the, on the rack. Um, staff did quite a bit of research on these. They've been researching bicycle racks for probably five to seven years now, waiting for something that was um, easy to operate and easy to maintain. And they've got good reviews on this particular style of bike rack. So in order to proceed with the project, we do need to amend the Dial-A-Ride budget to accept the federal and state grant funds as revenue and to increase the expenditures by the $30,800. And council did set this evening as a public hearing to consider the amendment. And if the amendment does get approved, then staff will go out and seek competitive bids. And if necessary, they will return to council for final approval um, of the purchase. Okay. Any questions for Ms. Murphy? How many bikes per rack? Two per rack. Two per rack. How did this all come about? Was there a lot of requests for this, or just the state came in and said, hey, we're doing this, or? No, we've had requests throughout the years for this, and like, and my staff literally, it's, when I say it's been five years, it's probably been seven, you know, how that goes. But they've been looking at bike racks and find, trying to find something that was easy to maintain, easy to operate, um, because we do periodically get requests for this. Um, and now that we found a product that we liked, then we went out and sought the grant fundings, and we were fortunate to receive them. This is only for the city ones or for county too? Oh, this is just for the city of Midland Dial Ride buses. buses. We have 14 buses in our fleet. So it'll be 14 racks? Yes. Yep. Any other questions for Karen? Okay, very good. 
This is public hearing. We'll open the public hearing. Is there any comments from the public on this particular topic? All right, seeing none but a thumbs up, close the public hearing, and Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This resolution amends the fiscal year 2023-24 dial-a-ride budget to increase revenues and expenditures by $30,800 to recognize grant funds received to purchase 14 bicycle racks for installation on the dial-a-ride buses. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So, so moved. moved. Second. <laughs> Everybody moved and seconded. Yeah. <laughs> so any discussion on this? I think it's great. I think it's long overdue and will be well received. Okay. Any, anything else? No. All right. Ready to vote? All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right. That passes 5-0. Okay. That takes us down to item number five, which um, has to do with a community developed black, black grunt, grant for um, disaster recovery. We hear a lot about this. Mr. Kane's here to talk to us again about it tonight. Thank you, Mayor Donker. So tonight is a public hearing for our planning round of Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Funds. Um, Council will recall that just about $60 million was allocated by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to support recovery and mitigation efforts following the storms and flooding in 2020. Um, these funds can be used for a variety of projects, including housing, rebuilding the local economy, and restoring infrastructure. CDBG DR funding is funding of last resort, and so it's intended to facilitate projects that will meet unmet needs um, that we haven't been able to address through our other available funding sources. These funds were distributed to the Michigan Economic Development Council, and they are further distributing those funds out to local units of government within the eligible areas of funding, which include those on the screen, Midland County uh, being one of those areas that is eligible for funds. MEDC is elected to distribute the funds through competitive application processes with multiple rounds focused on infrastructure, housing, and planning. This is the second round of funding. You'll recall just a few meetings ago, council held a public hearing and approved the submittal of applications for the first round of infrastructure funding. Tonight, we are requesting permission to submit application for the second round of funding, which is for planning projects. There are, is $10 million available uh, within this round with a maximum of $300,000 per applicant. And applications will be accepted by MEDC beginning on September the 24th. So the city's proposed application is for stormwater planning. Uh, this is an application for $300,000 to build upon prior stormwater and sanitary sewer studies. Specifically, existing hydrologic and hydraulic models will be further refined to more accurately identify restrictions within the current stormwater conveyance network, including both the storm sewer and open channel systems, and more importantly, to identify local hazard risks related to flooding. Strategies and concepts to mitigate these hazard risks will be developed through this process, and ultimately, the project will allow the city to develop a more robust stormwater management system and better plan for capital improvements that will help mitigate flooding and provide a risk reduction for the community. The resolution tonight approves this application for CDBGDR funding and designates the city manager as the environmental review certifying officer, the person authorized to certify the Michigan CDBGDR application, the person authorized to sign the grant agreement and payment requests, and the person authorized to execute any additional documents required to carry out and complete the grant. We've received no public comments to date on this application. After the public hearing tonight, a three-fifths vote is required on the resolution to approve it. Any questions? Any questions for Mr. Kane? So once we get past this phase, if it approves, um, 
and we have the projects and we know the funding we're going to need, can we go back and apply for more funding for those projects? So in all likelihood, no. So if we uh, identify projects through this process, by that point, the infrastructure funds through this DR opportunity are likely fully, will be fully committed to other projects, okay. including those that the city of Midlands applied for. Okay. And is this grant limited to planning as opposed to doing? Yes, it is a planning grant. And do we have to, if we are, if we are granted the money, do we have to use it on projects solely within the city limits or does, can we look at water coming in from outside the city limits? I, I would expect that as part of the modeling of the hydrologic and hydraulic uh, systems that will have to account for any water that's entering from outside city limits within those systems as well. But this would not be a larger basin model of a, a wider geography. Okay. Any other questions for Mr. Kane? I guess maybe one other. I mean, obviously, there's on the, on the broader scale, you've got the Corps of Engineers doing their work. How do you see this inter, interacting with their, that work? Well, as I understand it, the Corps of Engineers work uh, within the city's primarily focused on riverine flooding. Uh, this will look more specifically at the city's uh, streams, creeks, and, and um, in-ground pipe conveyance systems, which are not um, the focus of that U.S. Corps work. Okay. That we already have. Yeah, that's sanitary. Yeah. That's All right, any other questions for Mr. Kane? Okay, thank, thank you very you. much. Okay, it's a public hearing. I'll open the public hearing. Any comments on this particular topic? All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This resolution will approve an application for Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Funding and designate the City Manager as the Environmental Review Certifying Officer, the person authorized to certify the Michigan CDBG-DR application, the person authorized to sign the grant agreement and payment requests, and the person authorized to execute any additional documents required to carry out and complete the grant. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. First and second discussion on this. We need the money. Well, hopefully it'll lead to actually projects getting done. Yeah, for sure. All right, ready to vote. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right, that passes 5-0. All right, that takes us now down to item number six. Again, Mr. Kane, this is a zoning text amendment. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Mayor Donker. The proposal before you uh, with zoning text amendment number 166 is a city initiated amendment to the city zoning ordinance to add schools as a permitted use in the community zoning district. The community zoning district uh, intent is for special public, quasi-public and private uses that are deemed to have special community significance. Just first, by way of background, school is a defined term under the city zoning ordinance uh, in Article 2 as a building used for the purpose of elementary, secondary, or university education, which meets all requirements of the compulsory education laws of the state of Michigan. The community district currently permits a variety of principal uses, accessory uses, uses with special standards, and conditional land uses, including colleges and universities, vocational and technical schools, child care centers, community centers, and libraries that have similar operating characteristics to schools. The community zoning district is composed of just shy of 2,600 acres of land within the city of Midland and 146 individual parcels. So you might uh, correlate those two numbers and conclude correctly that most of the community zoning parcels are quite large within the city of Midland. 
Notable uses within the community zoning district include city forests, um, the city airport, the Midland Soccer Club, um, the hospital complex, Northwood University, Dow Gardens, and Whiting Forest. There is also one existing school within the community zoning district, which is Central Park Elementary. The city did receive interest from the new property owner of the former Delta College building on uh, East Wheeler Street and the potential of utilizing part of that building for the purposes of a private school. On the screen, you'll see a map of the community zoning district to give you a sense of the extent of the district. You'll see the district, unlike many of the city zoning districts, is rather dispersed throughout the community, which is consistent with um, the type of uses that are permitted within the community zoning district, which are generally dispersed themselves throughout the community for convenience purposes. Our review criteria for zoning text amendments uh, is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan? Have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted that justify the amendment? Was there a mistake in the zoning ordinance that justifies the amendment? Will the amendment correct an inequity created by the zoning ordinance? Will the amendment merely grant special privileges? And will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? Staff's analysis, schools are compatible with the uses currently permitted in the community district. And in fact, uh, schools were a permitted use within the community district until 2005 when the current zoning ordinance was adopted. It's not clear why schools were removed from the permitted land uses within the district at the time of that amendment. And in 2006, with the creation of the current city master plan, schools were actually included as an intended land use within the institution and civic future land use category, which most closely correlates with this zoning district. And so it's not clear other than it was probably a mistake uh, with reconfiguring and reordering and, and changing some of the terminology within the code, the schools were not uh, included in the update. The community district zoning is generally compatible with the institution and civic future land use category, as I said. That still, um, so since 2006 and seven, when the current master plan was adopted, that definition or description of institution and civic future land use still includes schools as an intended land use. As I mentioned, there is one existing school within the community district, Central Park Elementary, and that it does not appear to staff that permitting schools by right in this district would diminish the integrity of the other uses that are currently permitted in the district. Staff's recommendation is that City Council approve the zoning text amendment. The Planning Commission concurs with that recommendation and they unanimously recommended approval of this as well. We've received one public comment to date in support of the amendment. And we are before you tonight for the public hearing and consideration. I'd welcome any questions, Madam Mayor. Okay, I do have a question. So schools, so this would just mean in this district, schools would now be allowed. So if I was a school now, what district would I be in? What would my zoning be? Well, it, it differs. So many of our public schools are located in one of our RA districts. Mm -hmm. um, RA one, two, or three are the most common. Um, that's true of a number of other uses that are permitted within the community zoning district, like uh, places of worship are also typically located in all of our RA zoning districts. Um, public schools are generally exempt from city zoning regulation, so it's sort of a unique uh, nuance. and. Mm -hmm. To a certain degree, it means that it doesn't necessarily matter too much what they're zoned because they're generally exempt. So school properties tend to, in Midland and in most other communities, simply have the zoning applied to them of adjacent properties. That's a good educational piece, thank you. Right. So the, you mentioned Delta, or the former Delta College building. What is that zoned as right now? It's uh, zoned as community in the front half, and then there's a small portion of the property that the building's not located on to the rear to the north side that's located in the RA1 zoning district. Okay. 
Any other questions for Mr. Kane? All right. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Is this is a public hearing. Open the public hearing. Any comments on this particular topic? Seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This resolution approves amending Article 19 of the City of Midland Zoning Ordinance to add schools as a principal permitted use in the community zoning district. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? Second. There's a second. Discussion on this? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? All right. That passes 5 0. All right, Mr. Kane. That takes us down to item number seven, and it has a zoning text amendment. Um, Number 167, please tell us about that. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, the next proposed zoning text amendment is also city initiated. This would provide greater flexibility in the location of generators, consistent with the manner in which air conditioning units are currently regulated under the city's zoning ordinance. Generators are currently defined under um, the zoning ordinance as an accessory structure. So you'll note uh, the full definition of accessory structures is located on the screen. It specifically lists uh, several examples of accessory structures, including accessory buildings, swimming pools, generators, the subject of tonight's text amendment, pump houses, dog houses, tennis courts, and other sports courts. Accessory structures must abide by certain setback requirements outlined in Article 3 of the City Zoning Ordinance. In side yards, accessory structures must meet the same setback requirements as the principal building. So for instance, if we're in a district that has an eight foot minimum side setback for the principal building, then an accessory structure must also meet that eight foot side setback requirement. This creates certain challenges for placing generators given the following. Residential homes are typically built at or near the minimum setback in the side yard, which eliminates the possibility of placing an accessory structure in that side yard. Residential utility connections, including electric and gas meters, are most commonly also located in the side yard. It's preferable from a cost standpoint to pre uh, place generators near those utility connections, um, since obviously they need to be connected to them in order to operate. Placement in the rear yard, uh, which is required in many situations to meet the current setback requirements for accessory structures, often necessitates oversized gas piping, electrical wiring, and more materials per install, which consequently leads to a higher cost for the resident. Generators are increasingly desired by residents in Midland to provide backup electrical services during power outages. Some residents, such as those using oxygen mach machines, require a consistent source of electricity for health reasons, and so that has also driven some of the permits for generators within Midland. Generators are generally similar to ground-mounted air conditioners in size, aesthetics, and noise production. So for those of you who aren't familiar with what a typical generator looks like, here's a couple of local examples from recent generator installations. You'll note these generally look like the air conditioning compressor that you might see on the side of a residential home. In fact, the image on the left actually shows the generator in comparison to a typical air conditioning compressor. And you'll see, generally speaking, aesthetically very similar. Generally, the size of a home in-home uh, standby generator is roughly one and a half to two times the size um, of an air conditioning compressor in terms of footprint, but in terms of height and width, they're generally very similar. In terms of noise, we've had some questions about this. Like all equipment, the noise generation from a generator is gonna vary by model. And there are certainly, you can pay more and you can get um, certain features on your generator that are gonna reduce the noise output. And like most equipment, newer equipment is quieter than older equipment. Uh, we took a look at the range of what's available out uh, on the market today, including some of the most common equipment that's installed. 
And so just looking up there, you'll see some examples of standby, standby generator noise levels when they're at full load, which is basically running during a power outage as opposed to during test mode, which is typically applied once a month um, as part of just ensuring ongoing operations of the generator. Um, some other noise generators are also listed to give you some context. Um, if you, like me, don't have uh, decibels uh, kind of calibrated in your brain as a unit of measurement. And so, you know, music in a living room, a vacuum cleaner, central air conditioner at 20 feet are all fairly comparable to the noise generation from a standby generator. Portable generators are typically connected to the home near the electric meter, which is, again, generally on the, in the side yard. Um, they're also generally um, connected as close as possible to the principal dwelling in much the same manner that an air conditioning compressor is typically located as close as possible to the home um, for the aesthetic value of the homeowner as much as anything to keep those tucked away and to keep the cost down. The further that unit's placed from the structure, the more wiring uh, and piping that's required. Portable generators, which are typically the alternative to a standby generator, uh, create more noise and odor than a standby generator normally would. This is both because of the nature of how those, stand, uh, sorry, those portable generators operate and their fuel source, and also just the fact if you've ever been around a portable generator, you know that they aren't mounted to the ground, so they do vibrate, which creates additional noise um, that standby generators do not create. And it is important to note that portable generators do not require any permitting. So if someone were to um, utilize a portable generator during a power outage, they would be doing that without benefit of any oversight or permit by the city. Residential standby generators installed in Midland are generally not gonna be natural gas fueled given the, available, the, I'm sorry, the availability of natural gas in our residential neighborhoods. Larger diesel generators that are common in commercial settings generate obviously much more noise and odor than a natural gas generator would create. Um, and as I mentioned previously, residential standby generators generally require a 15 minute test cycle once per month, but otherwise would only run during a power outage. Under the Michigan Building Code, installation of a generator typically is within 18 to 36 inches of the dwelling um, that it will be serving, depending on the model. That's generally the minimum um, offset requirement. And in speaking with our electrical inspector, he has not seen in his time at the city a um, generator installed at a further distance than that. Again, for cost reasons, people generally keep those as close as they can at the minimum distance. Um, with the exception, of course, of the generators that have had to be placed in the rear yard to meet our accessory setback standards. Um, city issued 139 permits for standby generators in 2022. Uh, we estimated that 37 of those had to be relocated during permit review to satisfy setback requirements, and that six additional permits were, were withdrawn uh, due to the location rules. Um, up through July 1 of this year, we had 57 permits for standby generators in residential areas with 13 having to be relocated during that review to satisfy the current setback requirements. The recommended amendments would uh, amend the definition of accessory structure in Article 2 to include only generators producing over 30 kilowatts of power. This is kind of a general industry breaking point between a residential setting generator and a commercial setting generator. It would also add generators producing under 30 kilowatts of power to table 3.2, which outlines allowable projections into yards, yards, I'm sorry, as a permitted projection into all yards with a restriction that they are not permitted in front yards and residential districts. This is the exact same standards that apply to an air conditioning compressor. 
So again, the zoning text amendment review criteria, which I assume you all recall from the previous item. So we'll pass through those and get to the staff analysis. Generators are similar to pad mounted air conditioning equipment and as such, it's logical to apply a similar regulatory framework to each of those types of equipment. Generators are increasingly desired by homeowners. The current requirements for generator replacement often impose additional costs on homeowners seeking to install a generator. The proposed amendment maintains the current placement standards for higher capacity generators, those generating over 30 kilowatts of power. And the Michigan Building Code provides appropriate minimum standards to protect the health and safety of those in structures with generators as well as those in adjacent structures. Staff's recommendation is the City Council approve Zoning Text Amendment 167. That is also the Planning Commission's unanimous recommendation. We do have two correspondences in support of the text amendment and one in opposition that was provided to you this evening. And we are at the last step in the zoning text amendment process with tonight's public hearing and city council consideration. Mayor Dunker. Okay, any questions for Mr. King? Well, let me, let me comment. I, I think from my own personal observation and talking to other people who own uh, these type of generators, I think people are, are and I'm surprised that you could say they're comparable to an air conditioning unit. I think they're much louder than that. Um, and the other thing that I've learned as I was looking into this, because I think noise is really the issue here. I don't think the aesthetics of how it looks is, 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 is a concern. You can always plant a, a bush around it or, or a, have a privacy fence or some other thing. But the, the decibel level, I think, is set at not at the at the at the unit itself, but I think 23 or 27 feet away. And so now we're talking about the example you talked about has to, it could be an exception to the setbacks. So my concern is where you've got two homes that are fairly close together, you could be less than 20 feet away, if you will, between the two structures, and then you put this, this unit on top of it. Um, and yeah, you only have it when there's a power outage, which we'd all like to say there's less of them, but given the number of permits you said were applied in 2022, people don't really have that confidence. Um, have we really looked at maybe modifying this? And you, you give an example of what a sort of a typical uh, generator would, would, would create in terms of decibels. Could we limit it to that, for example, make it a 65 decibel limit based on standard, you know, uh, full operating conditions or so forth? Because you talked about diesel being more, more uh, noisy and things like that. I think rather than just say generators, if you put some, some noise level on it, I think that would be helpful. I mean, I, I at least hear from the community that people don't like lawnmowers, gas uh, leaf blowers, and some of these other things, and can't we put an ordinance in effect? To, you know, we've got a, a very subjective noise ordinance right now, and I've kind of been, I think that served us well, but you know, there is, there is, a, there is a certain irritation that people have with, with loud noises, and if your house doesn't have power, and the guy 20 feet away from you has got his generator going, lights on, you know, he's all happy, you're, you're, you're unhappy, and you gotta listen to his noise while you're trying to sleep. So I think my, my suggestion for discussion here is to, I understand why you want to do this and why the modification is there, but I think we ought to have a further criteria uh, put, imposed here on, on the sound that these things can, can generate. So that's my question. Comment. Question, comment. 
So is there going to be any setback? So basically, can a generator basically block the whole section, or does it have to be so many, at least a couple feet? D depending so on the, sorry, depending on the model, um, the specific offset from a combustible material is required under the, under the Michigan Building Code. That includes fences, trees, or other structures, and that's going to be 18 or 36 inches, depending on the type of generator. There's also a required offset of five feet from any openings in a building. Um, whether it's the, the building that's being served by the generator or the adjacent uh, or adjacent structures that includes windows doors or things like um, venting or intake for you know your, your or your neighbor's furnace there'd have to be a minimum of a five-foot offset from those as well to bring some perspective I do I do mowing so I have backpack blowers on my back and when these things kick on sometimes you I can't hear them kick on because my backpack, and that's where I'm close to, so a backpack blower is way louder <clears throat> than any of these machines coming on. And I, I mow 60 yards a week, so at least 20 of them have these generators. You know, and I don't think they're as loud as, the, the permanent ones aren't as loud as the rollout ones. You know, the I roll think the other thing to understand, and, and Jacob, you mentioned about the decibel level, but the decibel level is not linear. In other words, 70 decibels versus 60 decibels isn't only, like, 12 or 15 percent more. That's like 50 percent more. So it really climbs quite a bit. So if you see these comparisons, like the ones you threw up there, or you know, I did some looking about, you know, uh, you know, a, a typical push lawnmower is in the 70 to 80 sort of range. So you know, this could be similar to that to having a lawnmower going. I mean, you talk about vacuuming; it's, it's they're not quite the same in terms of an outdoors. Bose, noise level. Bose speakers has sound engineers, and they fire everyone at 30 years old because no human ear can hear all 33 decibels of sound. So you're not going to be able to hear the difference between 60 and 70, or 70 or 80. Not a human ear. You have to have the machine. Well, you know it's louder. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean. I mean, that's my point. Right. Um, so. I don't know what I really think about this. <laughs> you know, um. I made the comment, like when my neighbor's generator goes on, I can hear that two houses away. Mm -hmm. Well, the, but the truth is, no, there's no other sound happening. But how happy are you about that? Well, at the end of the day, <laughs> I wish I had a generator. Yeah, well, that's... You know, that, that's how I feel. And I think, well, you know, like air conditioners used to be, you know, people didn't have air conditioners. Now most people have air conditioners. I'm thinking generators are going to become what people have because you're going to need some kind of alternative source of power. Um, and so, I, I, I think, I hate to say it, but I think it's kind of, I wish I had a lot of Generac stock maybe, I don't know, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think that that really is what we're gonna see more, we're gonna see more of them. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, they only, you only need them when there is no power, but when there is no power, you really do wish you had one. I will say we had a, we've been working on this amendment for basically a year. Um, this arose as an issue uh, my first meeting with our electrical inspector um, as something that he had identified a while back as being a challenge for homeowners. And, you know, I asked for data, and when we saw that it's about 30% of our permit applicants a year are having to change, modify their plan because they can't satisfy our code requirements and that their plans would otherwise meet the Michigan Building Code, it seemed worth investigating. Um, you know, it is, you know, unfortunately, they are not quiet they are noisy there's no dispute about that 
and certainly during power outage situations. Um, if you're like me, I think everything sounds louder when the power's out because there's a lot of things not making noise any longer. Um, that is unfortunately part of the pain of a power outage, which we experience way too often. But I think one of the things is that, you know, some of these other communities do have sound ordinances that are based on decibels. We don't. So I think here in this, in this situation, um, especially since the way it's being made is an exception, it's more likely to be louder for the immediate neighbors uh, than would be otherwise be tolerable. So yeah, that's why I suggested, you know, and I'm not against the generators, I understand, and I understand the need to put it where it is. It's just that, especially if you look at what, what's available out there, it shouldn't be that hard to have one that meets the kind of uh, decibel level I'm suggesting here. Um, and I think you even had one in your, in your example about a, a Generac, um, I forget what series it was, but you know, having a 65 decibel uh, level at full run capacity, which is, you know, I think that's as, as good a, a point as any to, to put out there, unless we want to table it and do some more looking, but I think that's something that's, we ought to have some, I'd strongly encourage us to have some limits. What would you say, 70? No, I'd say 65. Okay, I don't know anything about decibels. It. We can give that in discussion. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. But I guess, I guess yeah. the question would be to you is, did, did you guys look at that, imposing a noise level on it? We didn't, and only because the upper limit for a residential generator is not really much higher than what you've described. You can get them quite a bit lower with sound absorbing technology that exists out there today. Mm -hmm. um, I think most equipment over time gets slightly louder, just parts get loose and they over time generate a bit more noise. Um, but it's certainly information that's readily available um, to us at the time of permit by getting the specification sheet, those are available online. Um, so if that was council's um, desire, it would be something that we could certainly implement. I wouldn't be prepared to make a recommendation on a sound cutoff. The 30 kilowatt cutoff was something that we developed um, at the request of the planning commission and their desire to see that the generators that were placed in residential areas in a side yard context be those that are designed for residential context. So that 30 kilowatt limit is going to have a indirect effect of keeping uh, a maximum on the noise generation as well. Okay, let me just say back to you what I think you said. <laughs> so you said the planning commission took a look at those and the ones they looked at that were appropriate for the side yards, they considered all of that as being appropriate. I mean, those were considered to be appropriate for a side yard. The what? original text amendment that was presented to the planning commission did not have a kilowatt cap. Okay. It just said generators. Mm -hmm. This was based on the conversation with the electrical inspector and his conversation with contractors. A, a generator over 30 kilowatts of power is extremely over the top for a residential home. It just doesn't exist. So we didn't feel that a threshold was necessary because it's just not, no one, I mean, I hesitate to say no one. It wouldn't make logical sense to buy a 90 kilowatt diesel generator and install it in your home. You're not gonna accomplish anything other than making a lot of noise and odor. The biggest one I've ever seen is 12, 12 kilowatt. You know, so it's never gonna reach that 30, what you're seeing. So 
so we so anyway the planning commission felt very fairly passionately that there should be some sort of a cutoff so went back to the electrical inspector looked at specifications out there on the market and 30 kilowatts seemed to capture almost every residential setting generator that's on the market and was well below the commercial thresholds okay very good any other questions from mr kane thank you very thank you. much this is a public hearing We'll open the public hearing. Does anyone have a comment on kilowatts or decibels? Please feel free to come up and state your name and address, please, and your comment. I'll keep this short. I'm uh, Jim Chrisman. Uh, I live in Larkin Township, 2887 Oak Court. Um, I just want to say generators aren't the only option. There are storage batteries that are very quiet, and decibels are a log scale. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments on generators or regarding this topic? All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This resolution approves amending Article 2 and Article 3 of the City of Midland Zoning Ordinance to update standards related to the placement of generators. All right, can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So move. Second. Okay, first and second. Okay, discussion. I'm of the idea of leaving the amendment as it is, I think, with the kilowatt limitation and everything like that. I don't know if I'd want to go down to 65, 70. Like you said, it's, it's logistical and measure and stuff like that. And it, you, as you looked at the examples that he gave, I think 68 was the highest of that bunch and everything like that. So I don't want to be in the mode of playing favoritism. <laughs> Saying, oh, you only can get this kind type thing, so. The change is fine with me. Um, doesn't matter, you know. I think it's fine. I don't think a, I don't think the average person will notice any difference whatsoever. Okay. Any other discussion on this? All right, then ready to vote. All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Nay. Okay. All right, very good. That passes 4-1. All right, now that takes us down to public comment. I think that's why most of you seem to be here this evening. So um, this is an opportunity for people to address council on issues relevant to council business, but not on the agenda. So if you'd like to make a public comment, we'd like to do this in somewhat of an orderly fashion. Um, some of you, there's multiple, seem to be multiple or a variety of topics to be addressed here tonight. So um, if you'd be considerate of one another and manage your time, you know, and not be repetitive, that would be great. So please, I'll open the public comment, come up, state your name and address. And Mr. Chrisman, you can be first. Hi, I'm s still Jim Chrisman, <laughs> um, 2887 Oak Haven Court. Uh, and I just want to talk about the issue of uh, redesigning, re-engineering uh, Ashman and Rod. Um, just uh, quickly, my bona fides on, uh, on bicycles, um, I built the mountain bike trails in the city forest and took care of them for, and uh, improved them for 21 of the last 22 years. And we got permission to build those trails on uh, September 10th, 2001. And uh, when the, all the stuff hit the fan on uh, the 11th, I went to Lowe's and got some flagging tape and went out and we started building. Um, but <clears throat> that's beside the point. Uh, the, 
it, it seems that, that public, uh, the, the public opinion is, is not very much in favor of changing those streets from what I've heard. I think it's a good idea to change them to two-way traffic. But the most important thing from my point of view is to make them safe for bicycles. And the best way to do that, I think, is, is with a protected bike lane. Uh, I just see so many people who are clearly not paying attention, leaving their lane, weaving down the road, and uh, riding my bike on the road has just got so it scares me to death. I mean, I ride over rocks and stumps and logs and all kinds of stuff in the woods. I still do it. Um, but it scares me to death to go down Eastman Road. Um, and Ashman and Rod are just speedways now. Um, so I think, uh, you know, building uh, protected bike lanes on, on those roads with, with the cash you apparently have available for those improvements would, would be a, uh, a great service to the community. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks. Um, Andrew Kosick, 1015 Rod Street. Um, but I'm here today speaking as the president of the uh, Home Builders Association of Midland um, concerning uh, Larkin uh, Township and water taps. So we have gone several years now without, uh, with a moratorium on additional water taps in uh, Larkin Township uh, beyond the Muga Zone. So historically, uh, Midland did supply water to uh, Larkin Township beyond the Muga Zone. And uh, until several years ago, uh, they ceased selling water and taps. Uh, we've encouraged both sides to move uh, past their differences and renew some kind of agreement. Uh, but that has been going on for several years without any progress. Um, uh, the lack of available water in Larkin Township is restricting growth. Uh, and uh, prospective new home uh, buyers of new homes and existing homes uh, are seeking out other townships where water taps are available. So um, it's something we're seeing. Um, and, uh, and of course, there is a certain amount of jobs, tax dollars, school-aged children, patrons for businesses and communities that uh, follow them to those uh, other communities. Um, so September 2022, the issue uh, was brought before the council and the council directed the city manager to work with the Larkin Township supervisor uh, to come to some kind of new agreement. Now, I'll jump in here and say that I, uh, the issue is relatively new to me personally and that I don't have a lot of direct experience with it, but what I can say is it's clear to me that parties involved see this as very much unresolved. So um, the Home Builders Association did seek out a meeting with uh, the city manager and the township supervisor um, to uh, address this and see where things stand. I think the association would just like to have our concerns heard at this point. Um, and uh, that it would just be beneficial to get together, hear that out, get some clarity on the issue. And uh, um, anyway, so we would just respectfully request a, uh, a timeline that some kind of agreement could be reached at for the public. and. Um, with that, I thank you for hearing this request. Thank you very much. Good evening, Mayor, Council. Thank you. Um, my name is Bob Briggle. I'm B&B Well Drilling. Well, I've been a driller in Larkin Township for over 40 years. 
And I'd also like to address the uh, Larkin. Can I hear your address? Uh, your address. Oh, I'm sorry. 128 North Huron Road in okay. uh, Linwood, Michigan. Okay. Again, B&B Well Drilling. Um, like to address just a couple issues that I continually run into uh, concerning Larkin Township water taps. One of them is um, hardship. We had a um, elderly woman just recently. Um, her well was in disrepair, uh, has not been taken care of for quite some time because the mister of the house had passed away. And she called me and the well was in disrepair. It could not be fixed. And when I told her it was going to cost between ten dollars and $12,000 to drill a new well, she started to cry. Especially when we looked across the road and we seen a water line that she could not tap into. Um, made matters worse. Uh, the next thing I'd like to just to discuss again would, uh, concerning the same thing uh, down that line is the formations that we get into once in a while. And I can give you two examples real quick. It becomes almost impossible to drill because of the formations down there. You wouldn't think about that you know, years ago. You just well, we'll go out and drill another well. It's not that easy. Um, Dennis Dittenberg from Lifestyle Homes last February had two homes next to each other on Jefferson. And he had a tap for one and he didn't have a tap for the other. And we were on that well for two weeks and it becomes so difficult to drill that well. I was almost begging Dennis to go and see the supervisor to try to get a tap and he couldn't. So after much ado, we ended up finishing the well, but it became almost impossible. The only option left to the homeowner would have been to put a large water tank in the garage and set up a pump system in the garage to then feed the house until this matter could be resolved. Um, the other one that comes to mind was um, Kelly Wall, Greystone Homes, again, right across the Jefferson um, on the west side. Uh, two homes within a football field of one another, identical wells, everything the same, 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 right down the line. And one, water, one uh, uh, well was significantly poor quality of water. The minerals that were in that well compared to the other one, again, just a football field away. It's like, how does this happen? So there was, there was no recourse there. Um, he had to put in some softening equipment because, again, he could not get a, a, a tap. So we're running into these things a um, little bit more and more. Um, and again, uh, about a year ago, we did hear on the news, I heard myself that there were 500 taps that were going to be made available to Larkin Township. And I asked the town, uh, um, I asked the, the supervisor, I says, how's things going? I says, go see your supervisor. And there he, and I don't want to quote him, but he said it's hung up in court. So whatever that means. So I want to just let you um, council know that there are some things that are beyond our control. There's some things that we cannot plan for, things that we do not know that we still have to cross when you come to water. And obviously, you we all know how big of a need that is, and in, 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 you know, in life, gotta have it. So thank you again, council, for listening to me. I left some cards on the table here. If there's specific questions. Feel free to call me. And with that, again, thank you for your time tonight. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, sir, in the back. Everyone, good evening. 
Uh, my name is Nate Shafto. I live at 392 South Padua Road in Homer. Um, I work at the Chippewa Nature Center. I'm not speaking on behalf of them. I'm speaking on my own. I just happen to be wearing my uniform because I just came from work. Um, I today started my fifth school year working at the Nature Center and I teach as a nature preschool teacher and I spend my summers working with Nature Day Camp. Um, I also love to ride my bike around Midland as well as um, my fiance um, for uh, leisure and for just transit. Um, and I would love to start a bike bus program, uh, some kind of group ride uh, with the families and students. Um, but to do so, we need safer bike transit. So I just want to say that I'm on board with um, protected uh, bike lane down Rod or Ashman or any other improvement of the um, bike infrastructure. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you very much. Any other comments? John Ellison, 6106 Sturgeon Creek Parkway. It's been a while I've been up here. I guess you all probably miss me, probably not, but you know, I do talk a lot and I know that it gets to be annoying at times. I can appreciate the fact that it's annoying. I can imagine sitting here in your chair, listening to somebody like me come up and talk about things that you don't, that I don't agree with you on or you don't agree with me on. So anyways, um, so sitting there and realizing how it is, I've got experience. When I used to plant oil wells, I have to go through the planning process. And during the planning process, all along the way, you get peer reviewed. You have to defend yourself. You have to defend your team. And you have to say, why didn't you use this tool? Why did you take this risk? Why, you, why is this costing so much? Why are you using this third party service? I mean, I have to defend myself all the time. And I didn't really like the fact that people were questioning me all the time, but it's part of the process. And so, and not only did I have my own peer group and my own company, like the geologist talking to me or the geophysicist or the management, I also had to, I had to defend myself in all these situations and my team. Then we had partners who pay for 20, 30, 40%, 50% of the well cost. So I have, to, I have to explain my actions to them. I have to go through my process. And if they have questions, I have to answer the same questions. So not only that, then I have the government I have to fill. They've got permits they need, and I have to please the government too. So all the way through, yeah, it's, to me it's annoying because I'm trying to explain things, and I don't, the geologists don't see things the way the drilling people see things, and yeah, it gets frustrating at times. But at the same time, <coughs> even though I have to make some changes along the way to make everybody happy, you know, to me, I don't really, didn't really like being questioned on all my actions, you know? But I, I had to do it. And at the end of the day, all of us together, because we are just really one team, is that we have to come up with something that we can all agree on because we want to drill the well safely. We want to drill the well at the right cost, under the cost if possible, and in a timely manner. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, it's a lot different than maybe a dr a drilling a, a water well, but it means these wells are in the North Sea where 60, 100 million dollars, so there's a lot of money at stake. So, how does this relate to the city council? Well, I've already told you guys that I like most of you on the city council. I mean, I've, it's, it's not that I, because I just disagree doesn't mean I don't like y'all. I do like y'all, and uh, but I, I have to say, I don't always agree with, this, uh, with the things you decide upon. And the, one of the things that, since I've been paying attention to this for a while, one of the things was, you know, the, the road diet. I don't think most people wanted the road diet. 
but we'll never know. That's a past thing. I also think Concept 5, even though I agree with Concept 5, it was a very controversial issue and a lot of people were not very happy with it. Now we have the road, or the road reconstruction on Rod and, and Ashman. And I appreciate these people saying what they want to say about what their feelings are, but at the end of the day, I think you being on the city council, I think you have to, when you take your oath, you're representing the citizens of Midland. You're not representing one person or a, uh, a Midland Business Association or whoever other organization that there's out there. You're representing the people in your ward and you're representing the people and the citizens of Midland. And if these things are controversial, and, I, and I've listened to the, I went to the last planning commission meeting and the, one of the people that worked for the city said, actually, there's more negative comments than positive comments. That tells me the citizens really don't want this. So how do you, get, how do you rectify this? Well, I mean, you don't want to vote on everything that comes about, you know? I mean, you got the streetscape, which, you know, I don't like particularly. I think it's a waste of money. In fact, when I go down there twice, tw uh, twice every day, five days a week, I go down that road. I've counted from the circle to Patrick Road, how many people are on that road. This has been now for three months. The most is, the most is 10, the average is two people. That's all I see on that whole road. And then I've, to lend more credence to why we're spending money there, where did Aldi build their place? That's the biggest thing we probably got coming into the town. They built it off Bay City Road. Why? Because that's the new and upcoming place. That's where we should be pre preparing ourselves for. <clears throat> and, then, and then the last thing I was going to say is that some of the people I know, one of the people that worked for the downtown um, whatever group, they, were, they went to one of the, the stores near, near Ashman and Rod, and they actually, those people confronted those people with, that worked for the downtown group, or like, I can't, DDA. DDA. And um, they asked the question of why, they want, why, the, why are we doing this? And they didn't come up with a good answer. When they started criticizing the DDA person about why they're doing it, they person just didn't want to hear it anymore. So they said, well, I got an idea. Why don't you just vote on it? And the DDA person says, we don't do that at the city of Midland. So what does that tell you about that person? That's not a very good person. It's telling you we're up here and you're down there and you listen to what we say. So that's how they took it. That's how that business took it. So there is always a solution to everything. I've heard people say why they want the bike lanes and it, that could be a good reason. And the planning commissions basically came up with their whole entire thing as to why you should have it. But at the end of the day, it's the people that matter. It's the citizens of this, of this community that you represent. These are the people that matter. And it's a no-lose situation for you to vote on it. That's how you have to do it. Now, I don't care if it costs 40000 because we just spent $60,000 on a traffic survey. So 40000 if we want to have a special election, or we can just wait till the next election and have that vote. But the people should have their say. And if these people win, it's like I said, it's no lose for you, because if these people win and they get their, um, their two-way roads and their bike lanes, well, you've done your job. You've got the people agreeing with you, and people like me can't say anything about it. We have got nothing to say. The people have spoken. But if it's the other way around, 
Well, it's the Midland Business Alliance that has their problem. They have to deal with it. They have to accept what the people want. They're citizens of this community, just like everybody else. So to me, the simplest thing to do when you get the controversial issues for your own benefit, because like I said, it's a new lose for you because you're always representing the people, no matter what groups or what people decide, you're representing the people. So I think you need to vote on these kind of things, these controversial measures, especially road diet. You can, I can remember when, how many people stood up against that one. And I, I remember uh, the concept five. I mean, I haven't liked the way Concept 5 was written, but I agree with Concept 5. So at the end of the day, I would have voted for it. But in this case, I think you've got just as many people, maybe more people that don't want it, and you're never going to know. But if you don't let people vote, what are they going to say about you? They're going to say just what I just said about that uh, uh, DDA person that told that company that that's not the way the city operates and we only listen to who we want to listen to. We only listen to the special interest groups because that's how I would interpret it. You don't want to do that. You don't want to create sides. You want to have the sides of the people on your side and the people have to respect it, the fact that when you vote on it. And that's all I have to say about that and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. All right, any other comments this evening? I'm Mark Wall, 1397 West Linwood Road. Uh, I'm a little bit here just kind of ask a little bit for information maybe. I don't know where the city stands on water to Larkin Township. Um, and I'm not sure where I stand on it. We're very proud of our city of Midland projects. Um, currently on Rod Street with Mr. Kepler and Pathfinder Commons across from here. Brass Leaf, Copper Leaf, Iron Leaf condos. Um, I, and I don't know if there's ever an opportunity for dialogue among some of us, but over the last few years, one thing that's come to light in our business is there's definitely an increase for us in Williams Township, Titabossi Township. I don't think people are going to leave Midland in droves, but if they can't get water in Larkin, I wonder if it's been considered how many people go to another county and then don't shop in the city of Midland. Um, and I was there for the housing study, and there's all kinds of innuendos on this, right, of why are we doing this. The supposition in the business community is that the city wants to restrict the water to force people to live in the city. And I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I love building in the city. I hope our business grows there. I don't feel that Mr. and Mrs. Three Kids and Two Dogs always has a spot in the city. Um, and that's not your problem. That's not your fiduciary responsibility, maybe, but I think as we look at the bigger picture. I just don't know if this stuff's been considered. Um, I don't want to be part of the gossip, I want to be part of the solution. And if the solution is, hey, we're not releasing any more water to Larkin Township and that's it, I think the, the, the community just needs to know that at some point um, would be a good idea. Because uh, I, I, I don't think even the public likes feeling forced, if you will. You know, I don't think people are, I don't think they like that feeling. Um, and, you know, we've worked with Frankenmuth currently. And we find that, you know, I, I didn't fully agree with all the housing study, however, I, you know, they use pictures of our homes as unsustainable unaffordability, and we've had record years ever since, including this year. So I, I believe that we displace some of those people into new homes, and then they place a more affordable home for someone to buy in the city or somewhere as well. And I, I just really kind of would like to know where we, where we stand as a community at large. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other comments this evening? Okay. Hello, I'm Brian Wexer, uh, 4313 Stonegate. I'm a resident. I want to build a house out in Larkin. My wife won't let me until I can get water. I would very much like water. <laughs> Thank you. Anything else this evening? My name is Melissa Wall. I live at 3399 Greystone Place in Larkin Township. I am the co-owner of Greystone Homes here in Midland. And I think you've heard enough about water taps in Larkin, so I'm not trying to beat that dead horse, but I do know that today we have four or five general contractors here and I think I'm most curious to know if the city council has questions for those who own general contracting companies on that relationship between the city of Midland, because you're right, you represent the citizens in, in your ward, and you represent the city, but there is a relationship between the city and the townships that surround it. And I think I've heard a lot of statements, but I'm most curious if the city council has questions of those who own contracting businesses. Okay, right. like Mr. Wall of Cobblestone Homes, funnily enough, we're not related, just share a last name. Um, we are really proud of our involvement in the city of Midland. Our offices are here in Midland. We have two developments in the city of Midland, uh, Forest Ridge Condominiums and Greystone Woods, single uh, family homes. My children attended school here, kindergarten through high school. We love Midland and its community, but we are certainly at risk when we have a large section of the townships that feed into the greater economy of the Midland area, we're, we're, we're not building homes. And frankly, we have built in Williams Township, in Auburn, in Freeland this year for some of these reasons. And so I just reiterate that it is a, a real need and a real concern when we've gone on multiple years without an agreement. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, are there any other comments? Uh, David Rapana, 16 Pine Haven Circle. I agree with everything that was just said. It's been at least three and a half years with no uh, new permits. Uh, while off of Sorrel Road in Freeland, just alone, just one location, if you want to drive to one location, I'm not going to have you drive all over the Tri-Cities. Just go to Sorrel Road in Freeland, and in that three and a half period of time there's been at least 200 homes built with families those families don't pay a darn thing to our road millages they don't pay to our school millages they don't send kids to our schools they don't provide for the united way they don't give anything to the you know midland foundation nothing they don't they're in freeland yet somehow if we didn't know any better you guys think that's right it's not right uh so i don't know how long this is going to take but i think you're just this is just a terrible decision. Second thing on another topic, I own the uh, northwest uh, corner of Saginaw and um, Rod Street, the shopping center, the Big Apple Bagel Plaza, and all those buildings there. Uh, I am 100% in favor of going two-way. I agree 100% with the bike lane co conversation tonight, both those gentlemen. My wife and I, I do not allow us to ride down Rod or Ashman. 
we ride elsewhere. I will not let my wife drive down that street. So please get a good bike lane on that street, no matter what you do. But all my tenants and myself are 100% in favor of listening to the traffic consultants and doing whatever is right, not the people that scream and bitch and don't know a darn thing about it. Thank you very much. Okay, are we done? All right, thank you for all your comments this evening. Mr. K, I just, um, typically we don't do this, I know, but could you just please give us an update on where we are with these conversations? So, sure, um, let me address first a, a couple of points that were made. First of all, um, from the city's perspective, nothing has changed relative to the water agreements that are in place. We have um, an agreement uh, between, particularly we're talking Larkin now, but we have also agreements with other townships and Water District 1 um, that specify the numbers of connections that are permitted. Larkin happens to be a number that's 1,402 um, tap connections permitted. That continues to be the agreement in place. Nothing has changed from the city's perspective on that point. So um, I know there's been some misconceptions that the city has changed our approach, that we're no longer selling water, that we're no longer allowing connections. We will continue to allow connections until that agreement is fully satisfied. Um, that said, um, the township has approached the city. Um, I think that the 500 number was thrown out. I don't recall off the top of my head what the last number was that was brought forward by Larkin Township in terms of a request for additional capacity above and beyond the 1,402. Um, the meeting uh, where that was first discussed in front of City Council was last September, as was mentioned by someone in the, their comments. Um, at that point in time, there were a number of points of information that you as council indicated were important to you. Two of the main ones were the master plan, which um, we actually, you all have it actually here um, on your desk. The draft has just been released uh, at this point in time. The second issue is the study of the fire department operations and how to best provide um, whatever form of fire services are necessary for the city. That was a joint study that was going on with Larkin as well. Um, that study is also in, in draft form at this point in time. The city um, is looking at it to make sure it's complete, and once we're assured that it's a complete study, we'll be releasing that. Larkin Township is doing the same. Um, following the discussion of that fire department, the internal discussion of that fire department study, it will be presented to city council as well as the Larkin Township board. Um, that is one what we've determined to be one critical piece of information before we move forward with determining what, if any, additional water um, will be provided. Um, the other component, though, back in September of last year, the question that was really put to this council was whether or not you were open to having the discussions about additional water. And the answer, um, again, as was mentioned in the comments, was that yes, we will continue those discussions. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's been slower. We expected the fire study, for instance, to be available to us at the end of last year. It took eight months longer uh, than we had hoped for, and so there, there's been a delay in that point. Um, that said, uh, the Larkin Township Supervisor and I both met a week and a half ago, two weeks ago maybe, um, with uh, essentially agreeing that we need to bring exactly the matter to the head that the builders that are here tonight um, are bringing to your attention as well. Um, I don't have, um, Mark, you asked for a timeline. I don't have a firm one uh, at this point in time, but what I do know um, is it is our intention, and when I say our, I mean both the township supervisor and myself, um, that we bring the Larkin request for water back in front of this council um, as soon as we have at least a general answer to where we're heading on our fire study services. So 
Um, that would mean likely this year, um, but I don't have an exact timeline on that. But again, the direction has been to continue moving forward, and now that these two critical pieces of information have been received, we can do so. Yeah, could I add a comment, too, just in listening to the presentations? There's two things. You mentioned the fire study and the master plan, but I think two other aspects here that are kind of important to consider. Number one, affordable housing. The affordable housing discussion has come up, and it's all coming up always, at least from my perspective, within the city boundaries. This is a Midland County issue, and so I'd like, if Larkin is interested in, in some of this more water and development, I'd like to know what their role would be in, in providing affordable housing. The other part of it is, and we've talked about this over and over again, as the drainage, storm drainage and the impact of storm drainage coming from Larkin down in through the city. And you can argue about, well, we meet standards uh, that, you know, building standards in terms of retention and so forth. I think those need to be stepped up. I think they're, they're clearly not sufficient based on what, what we've experienced from rainstorms. So I think, you know, with the builders here, those are two aspects that if you want water, have to be included in the, in the discussion in terms of a new agreement, which is really what's being suggested. So, thank you. Good. Okay. All right. That takes us now down to um, item number eight, which has to do with um, transportation. Mr. Kane. Thank you, Mayor Donker. The Midland Area Transportation Study, or MATS, is working with MDOT on a transportation alternatives program, or TAP, pilot program. Um, TAP is a federal funding source for non-motorized transportation infrastructure. We heard a little bit about TAP, TAP rather earlier tonight with regard to the bicycle racks for dial-a-ride transit. Um, this is a funding source that's typically utilized for capital projects, so doing construction or buying, purchasing equipment like those bicycle racks. This pilot program is intended to look at the effectiveness of utilizing this funding source to support planning and feasibility analysis, which is required before making application for those construction or capital funds. For those who don't know, MATS is the transportation planning agency for Midland County and portions of Bay and Saginaw counties, so it includes the city of Midland, but it's not exclusive to uh, the city of Midland. As part of this pilot proposal, uh, Matt's convened a steering committee and that committee is recommending five projects be included in the pilot application, including three which fall within the city of Midland. This would be a grant opportunity uh, for $240,000 with a 20% local match requirement. Matt's is re uh, suggesting that that local match be distributed on the basis of the miles um, of uh, study and so using that metric the city's contribution for that 20 percent local match would be fifteen thousand four hundred eighty nine dollars and eighty six cents um, of which we do have adequate funding within the current year engineering and planning budgets to provide um, that contribution to the project i'll run through those three projects that are within the city of midland real briefly um, the first is a extension of the current east patrick road multi-use path that path currently runs along the south side of Patrick Road and terminates just east of Illinois Drive. This proposal would extend the path from that terminus east of Illinois Drive to the eastern city limits. Um, if constructed, it would ultimately connect with a proposed Bay County connector trail, uh, which is also subject of this pilot uh, submittal application project, which would run to the east. So it would be part of a larger uh, system upgrade. Okay, can I just ask? So this, is, this would be 
the, a, a bike path within the city of Midland. If, that, if I look at that, that's, yes, it would this, get people, you know, it's not like a rail trail. Let me, I, it's not like the rail trail. the path that's already Just, coming up, Patrick. So a, the, a planning and feasibility study will typically consider what your options are for design. Uh -huh. uh, I believe given that the current configuration is a separated dedicated pathway, um, off the road, mm -hmm. uh, that's likely going to be one of the options that's studied as part okay, of this Okay, so, so it's off, it's off the road. It's not part of, I guess what I'm, part of what I'm asking is Patrick, Patrick's a pretty busy road, mm -hmm. but it's going to, it's people, it's something that people could use if they're interested in riding their bikes to work. I mean, is that going to be able to get them to places of employment? Um, or is it going to, you know, you know, yeah, so this, me looking by the river, so to speak. Sure, this pathway ultimately connects to the west as you go through the Grand Curve Park into downtown and to the okay. uh, Pure Marquette Rail Trail. Okay, great. And so then it would connect, to, I'm sorry, to the east to a uh, future Bay County connector okay. that would run into Auburn and points east. So it's an extension from yeah. where it ends today to Bay City. Bay ultimately, Bay yes, County. and right. the city's portion of this project would be the city limits. Um, mm -hmm at the end of Patrick Road. Okay. Uh, yes, just, just yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. No problem. Yeah. Project number two. There's woods right there. Where that path ends, there's woods all the way to it. So cut down all those woods and put a path in. It's gonna be on the same side of the road is what I'm saying. It's just gonna continue on all the way yes. down to US 10. Yep. I won't speak to whether or not that's gonna result in tree removals, but that'll be part right. of the consideration of the planning grant. Okay. So project number two is uh, related to project number one. This is the Stratford Woods multi-use path connector. This would connect uh, the current terminus of the Patrick Road multi-use path, um, also east of Illinois Street, north through um, the gas to energy pipeline right of way uh, that runs between two neighborhoods that are located on the north side of Patrick Road um, into Stratford Woods Park and then ultimately through Stratford Woods Park to East Ashman Street. Um, the exact alignment within Stratford Woods Park would be part of the study here to look at what's possible in terms of wetland, woodland impacts and aligning with other infrastructure that exists today within the park. Um, but that would be project number two. Project number three is a Rod Street non-motorized transportation route. Um, as council knows, there's been multiple studies of uh, Ashman and Rod Streets uh, conducted to look at different uh, traffic uh, designs for those roads. Those have included looking at a in-road bicycle lane, but not at a protected or separated bicycle facility. So this study would allow an analysis of that option or alternative for Rod Street. This is consistent with some of the comments that we heard during the community conversations on the Ashman and Rod Street two-way restoration project. Um, it would complete the connection between Center City and downtown uh, for non-motorized transportation. Currently, those connections end at Nelson Street, and there's not connections from that point further north into Center City. Um, this reflects a long-term desire that was expressed through that process for a protected or separated non-motorized facility, and it would ultimately connect Center City into downtown and to the Pure Marquette Rail Trail um, running out um, to the north and west of the city. Um, this would be analyzed with regard to whatever council's decision is on Ashman and Rod Street, one-way or two-way traffic. There's still an opportunity to consider a separated or protected bicycle facility with either traffic flow configuration. So this would have no bearing um, necessarily on council's decision. Any decision you make on Ashman and Rod Street, we would study um, this non-motorized route uh, in accordance with that decision. 
So tonight's resolution supports the planning feasibility analysis pilot program, authorizes the local match of 15,489.86, and, and authorizes the additional actions that are necessary to provide that matching funds to MATS. There's been no public comments to date, uh, no public hearing required, just a three-fifths vote to approve the resolution. Okay, any questions for Mr. Kane? Yes, um, so MATS is a county organization or committee or whatever you want to call it, not a city. It's MATS is, is a county 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 sponsored. No, so well, MATS serves an area that's defined uh, each uh, every 10 year cycle on the basis of census data. So they serve basically the urbanized area of Midland. Okay, they they who is the they then? Right, MATS who MATS is. All right, first of all, I have to struggle with the terminology because S in the mats is a study, not a committee or a council or whatever you want to call it. So mats, but is also being called, a, is, is referencing a group of people. These are a group of, right? Mats is a group of people? Uh, mats is an organization that has both staff and governing body that oversee its, its okay. work. Okay, and that's a county organization? No, it's its or own separate organization. A separate organization. That has membership from the city, the county, townships, road commissions, and other transportation-related organizations within the Midland urban area. Okay, so it's a... Okay. And most communities are, were sort of at the low end of the population scale, but most communities the size of Midland or larger in the United States have an organization like Matt's that serves as basically a clearinghouse for federal funding for transportation projects. And it has representatives from all these communities in, in the county? And it has representatives from uh, various jurisdictions that are within the, the jurisdictional area of MATS. So just to expand on that, it's actually the jurisdictional areas, so the governmental units as well, but all of the transportation agencies, so MATS, uh, the Bay City or the Bay uh, County Authority as well. Um, the state transportation agencies are also represented on the membership of the policy committee, so which it's, is it's the quite large. Council. It is a fairly large group. We've actually got Maya, who's uh, Maya Balanaska, sitting in the group, who's the executive director hired uh, by that. But the organization is a completely freestanding, federally mandated, required organization in order to continue to receive federal funding for transportation purposes. Okay. And so as far as city representation on the policy committee, which is the governing body, I sit on that member as a re representative of the city, as does Karen, who sits on there as a representative of DART being a transportation agency. Okay. So the steering committee that came up with the projects, who's, who, who's, who's on that committee then? I have a full roster in front of me. That was a variety of members from throughout the organization. My, my I can best answer that question. I, I don't know the individual membership on that. Yeah, because I'm just, I'm just curious about, I mean, we're going to study, I mean, some of these projects don't seem to require study, in my mind. You're talking about extending the existing trail that is adjacent to Patrick Road for, I don't know, a quarter mile. Um, but I guess that, that is all dependent on, you know, back when Grant Marshall was here, he talked about this, the, I don't know what you call it, a bike route, basically. Uh, that would extend into Saginaw and Bay City, and then there was an existing, there's an existing, and this is not a separate trail, some of this is, most of this is on actually roads, but they were talking about reconfiguring that, and I, I don't remember sitting here today where that connection was. I think right now it actually goes out Ashman for a ways and then cuts over to something north of that. I'm not sure what the, it's Wilder Road or something, but you'd, 
some of this would make sense. These projects would make sense, but I'm not sure if you even need to study them. If you have extending the, the trail along Patrick and then having a cut through Stratford Woods up to Ashman, I mean, that seems uh, pretty straightforward. If that the uh, goal is to um, connect to this larger network, or frankly, as, as sort of Maureen uh, suggested, is if you want the people, of the people of the community to be able to get a bicycling access to Stratford Woods, uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's just a matter of the, the money to pay for it. But I don't know why you'd need studies. And then the other, the third one, the Rod Street one, seems odd, given, you know, the, <laughs> we need to focus a little bit more on, on maintaining, and I've said this before, maintaining the existing bike routes along the streets. I mean, putting a stencil on the road is not good enough. And, and when I, was, I would love to have had an engage in a discussion about what, is a, what qualifies as a protected, uh, a protected lane by some of the earlier speakers, because frankly, you know, if we're, if we're doing this in some sense of drawing you know, younger members to the community, I don't see any way somebody's going to take a family on the street, no matter how protected it is, you know, even if it's just, they're not going to do it with kids or anybody who's just a more casual rider is not going to feel comfortable on a street. And, you know, and, and probably what we ought to be looking at, frankly, in that situation is improving the sidewalks. I mean, do like what you, you did at, uh, on, along Dublin to have a nice, wide, you know, smooth sidewalk where, where families and, and young professionals and adults can, can ride on more safely rather than spending time focusing on on uh, you know a lane on on Rod Street. That's that's my so I, I'm getting to this because I'm, I'm really curious how we came up with these projects for study, and, and I'm not really getting the answer yet. I mean, uh, from my understanding of the steering committee process, a variety of projects were brought forward. They looked for alignment with the goals of the pilot program, which is really to see if this is a feasible way to encourage. And I and I apologize for not mentioning this earlier. But TAP funding for construction purposes has been underutilized across the state. And so MDOT's looking at ways to encourage local units to apply for that funding source. So this pilot program is in part to see if by providing planning and uh, feasibility analysis funds ahead of the construction funds, if they can encourage more people to bring forward viable projects. It is generally required that this work be done before you apply for the construction side of the grant program. So that's why we're bringing this forward for these projects, because if we're successful in determining feasibility of these projects and we do have a feasible way to construct them, we can then proceed to applying for a TAP grant under the construction side and potentially bring federal dollars forward to make these projects happen. So that's facilitating the interest. At the end of the day, we're and not to speak for Maya, but I know she's balancing multiple jurisdictions and right. their interest in projects, looking at ways that we can align our work together, which is really the core reason why the federal government requires organizations like MATS to exist, is so that the city of Midland's not spending federal transportation dollars on A and the Bay County Road Commission spending them on B and they're in total odds with each other. They want coordination at a local level. And so that steering committee was meant to bring together that coordination on projects. We brought forward a lot of ideas and a lot of them were just simply too big for this program. And that steering committee helped to narrow down projects that fit within the scope and the intent of the pilot program. Yeah, I wish I could see this in the bigger picture then about why these projects were chosen, but, or why they need to be, even be studied. But I guess you're saying you have to study them before you, you can ask for funds. 
Yes, and that's been a significant hurdle, at least that's MDOT's belief, is that's been a hurdle in um, the number of applicants that they see for TAP construction dollars. Okay, so my question was about the feasibility analysis because it's a study. Like, what criteria is used to determine if it's feasible or not? Is it the number of people they anticipate that will use the extended paths or? Typically, we're looking more at construction feasibility. So where, how do you have adequate right-of-way? Are there going to be tree or wetland impacts? Um, okay. what's, the, what's going to be the most beneficial routing from a transportation perspective? So really looking at what options do you have available for that to service that corridor? Mm -hmm. And then what ultimately is the best of those alternatives? What one is recommended forward for implementation? Okay. And then when it comes to Rod Street, so if that turned out to be feasible can be done, would that then be considered a protected bike lane or are we just making it a bike lane? Because I kind of think whatever we do on Rod, we need to make sure it's just as good on Ashman. Well, again, this is building on prior analysis that's already been done on that corridor, which has looked at the feasibility of in-street bike mm -hmm. lanes. Those are not protected bike lanes. That's just a uh, paint marked. Okay bike lane, and so this would take that feasibility analysis to the next step, looking at the feasibility of some sort of protection, which to mm -hmm. Councilman Arnosky's uh, comment or question earlier, which is a, is a good one, um, and, and Brad, I think, can attest to this. I've worked as a planner for 13 years, and when you talk to people who bicycle or don't, everyone has different ideas about what they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Some people will never ride on the sidewalk. Some people will never ride right. on the road. Everyone's got different co comfort level. Generally speaking, a protected facility is going to reach the largest um, potential bicycling audience. The most people are going to be comfortable with that. Um, and you can achieve it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's just more paint, a wider buffer. Sometimes it's uh, a bollard or some sort of a vertical mm -hmm. separation. Sometimes it's using parked vehicles or curbs or something else to delineate the bicycle lane as a separate in-road facility. And then ultimately a sep completely separate facility um, similar to the wider sidewalks that were referenced earlier or similar to projects one and two, the non-motorized pathways would also be an option that can be studied for feasibility. So how long is this study supposed to take? Um, I think we would expect to have results probably in 2024. Okay. So part of this feasibility, if I understand you correctly, would be looking at protected lanes or a sidewalk option or it would be to look at all three different type of options, I'm assuming. Typically, before you start the planning and feasibility process, you, you narrow things a little bit and you just apply common sense to the situation and say, it appears that we have maybe three or four options. Which of these do we think is most viable? And then you'd probably narrow your study down to the you know, top two or three most viable options for study um, so that you're effectively using your funds. Maybe I'm hearing you say two different things. I thought when you first said it, it was just about unprotected bike lanes was going to be the, the Rod Street study part. And then now it's... No, it's not. Uh, it's simply because unprotected uh, traditional bicycle lanes have already been studied for feasibility as part of the OHM report. Yeah. So, so this will include evaluation of, of sidewalks or protected uh, bike lanes? Those would be the type of options that would be pursued, yeah, through the planning process. Okay, any other questions for Mr. Kane? Thank okay, 
Thank you very much. Any comments from the public on this? Okay. Lacey, will you please read the resolution? This resolution approves participation in the Transportation Alternatives Program Planning and Feasibility Analysis Pilot Program, authorizes $15,489.86 in local matching funds and authorizes the actions necessary to submit the application to the Michigan Department of Transportation. To accept the resolution? Okay. Okay, first and second, any dis more discussion on this or comments on this? I think connecting the Stratford Woods thing would be fantastic. I think people on my board would love that. I've always wanted to go through there. I, I tried to figure out a way through. You got you to go through and then, and then down this, the path, then you yeah. cut into the develop into the neighborhood there, and then there's a gate that gets yep. you into Stratford. But it's it's dirt and. You well, they've been parking construction vehicles in front of it to stop the people from going in. Oh, really? Know. I don't think we're supposed. Well, to they do caught that. them though. Okay. <laughs> you ready yeah, to vote? I'm appreciative okay. though that they're doing the connection with the Bay County and stuff like that. I, I know that's one of the big things with Matt's is trying to coordinate. Um, between the big urban projects mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So that that's also good, so. And I like that Rod Street is in the scope of this to be considered because regardless of what the answer is, mm -hmm. I think it's important we address the bike lanes. Good. All right, ready to vote? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. That takes us down to new business. Mr. K, you got any new business? <laughs> well, you do have a new document on your tables. Maybe um, Mr. Kane should talk about that. Yeah, probably so. He might be tired of talking about it at this point in time, but he'll have many opportunities. Um, but the city, and we mentioned it obviously earlier tonight, that the dr first draft of the city mo of the Midland City Modern, I've got to get my order of words correct, um, which is the city's new draft master plan has just been released. It's out on the city's website. Anyone can access it there. Um, it needs still to go to the Planning Commission for review. Comment will be still taken on this. Ultimately, it will come back to this council for release prior to uh, going into the approval process. Uh, but we do encourage anyone to take a look at it, um, comment on it. We intend entirely, quite frankly, for people who maybe never took the time to look at our master plan um, to take the time now to go through this. Tell us what they think uh, in terms of whether we've hit the mark, whether we've missed it, and if so, where and then we will accommodate those, or at least consider those comments, take them into account, and see what, if any, changes need to be made as we move forward. But um, it's a different style, as you can see. This is not what you would typically look at and go, hey, this is a, a City of Midland master plan. Usually you get a printed document with a lot of text and planning language and jargon. Um, and Jacob and his team and everyone uh, from our graphics people to the planning staff and, and a lot of other departments have all had significant in input into this. And uh, we, we hope people find it readable, number one. We hope we find it uh, encourages some thought and, and some contemplation about where we are heading as a city over the next uh, 20 to 30 years and that it solicits comments back on it. So, so please, please take the time. So where is it available? Um, so Jacob, where that. is it in, on the city website? Are you able to recite that? It'll be on the city planning it's, department it's, page, certainly you can find it there. But best place else? to find it would be the project <coughs> website, which is midlandcitymodern.com. There are also print copies available for in-person inspection at the planning department, second floor of City Hall, and also at Grace Adel Memorial Library at the reference desk. Thank you. And then comments can be related. We have a comment form integrated into the Midland City Modern website that yeah. folks can utilize to submit their feedback electronically and like any other correspondence in writing is welcome as well. Thank you.
I've seen the hard copy, and I've seen it online. Most people who know me know I'm a hard copy kind of person, but that online is amazing. It's amazing. I was just shocked at how easy it was to read, and it's, it's, just, it's, just like looking at, it's just like looking at this. And let me just say, it's beautiful, and I'm anxious to read the content. Well, okay. for now, I'll take all the credit for the design and none of the credit for the content. <laughs> tell, you, tell me what you think about the content. I can really take no credit for the design. The yeah. design is all efforts of other people at the city that are very talented. So, yeah. It's a nice project. Looking forward to it. And we content. do hope people will read it. Yes, for sure. Yes. I think this draws people's interest, and I think they'll engage. So awesome. Thank you. Any other new business? Okay, seeing none, we're adjourned.